Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back to another episode of the Habitat Podcast, where our goal is to become better habitat managers. I want to talk about Killer Food Plots for a minute here before we get going. Their website, killerfoodplots.com, has been redone earlier this year, and it is a beautiful website. I wish my website looked that good. Um, I'm studying it right now to determine what I want to plant this spring. I know in the fall I had really good luck with brassicas, oats, and then last year I frost-seeded clover and chicory, and that turned out probably the best um, of all my plots and really way better than I expected. So I'm definitely going to be hitting the clover and chicory for a frost seed or a spring planting, and maybe try the, the carnage brassicas for a, uh, a spring plot to get me some more growth over the summer with those. Uh, point being, check out their website at killerfoodplots.com. Every seed is on there. Every description is on there. Where you can find them, the dealers, the testimonials, etc. Um, great Michigan company and a high-quality seed. I know I keep saying that, but their seed, guys, I've been planting it for four years prior to having any sort of partnership with them, and it's good stuff, no joke. So check it out at killerfoodplots.com. Nick Percy will be the guy to talk to. I would also like you guys to check out packermax.com. Lincoln Roan has his website on there with his five cultipackers. A couple are sold out and out of stock, but they still have one, two, three that are remaining. So the standard unit, the four-foot unit is $4.99, shipping included. This would be your four-foot wide unit to pull behind the ATV. That's what I use. Uh, like I've said before, I was surprised at how durable just the standard unit really is. Uh, my buddy Al has had one for many years. You guys have heard from Al in the last episode. He loves his. This was before I even started the podcast or uh, you know, talked to, or before Lincoln even owned the company. Al had one of these things. Um, and then the, the all-new Gamekeepers, the Mossy Oak Gamekeepers, they partnered with Lincoln on the 
standard HD unit. So it's like my unit, but very heavy duty. Uh, you look at that thing. I mean, you could roll that thing out of the back of your pickup truck. It's pretty darn bulletproof. That's $599. So $499 and $599 to get you in the door for a call to Packer. Now, the podcast runs a 10% discount. So if you call Lincoln and mention the Habitat podcast, you automatically save 50 or 60 bucks. So check him out at PackerMax.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Habitat Podcast, where our goal is to become better habitat managers. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees. With me today is our studly co-host, Brian. Brian, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. Just can't believe another year's flying by and coming to an end here, but doing good. How about you? Uh, yeah, it's been a heck of a week, but uh, you know, Merry Christmas to you and your family and everybody else, uh, by the time this Thanks. airs, it's going to be about that time. So we're going to cover Eric Long from Drumming Log Wildlife Management. He's a friend of Brian's. We got him on the line today, and guys, it is a great episode. We're going to cover certain things like making people think about their habitat choices. What are you doing out there? What are you managing for? Um, you know, not just food plots. You know, have a plan in place stem densities, etc. So, Brian, are you excited for Eric to get on the line? Yeah, I've been looking forward to this one. His his approach and his philosophy to wildlife management is is pretty unique. He just doesn't repeat the same old stuff that we're used to hearing and what we've heard for years. He really dives deep into the whys of things instead of just how to do it. So, yeah, I think our listeners are going to really enjoy this one. Awesome. And speaking of listeners, guys, thank you so much for tuning in once again. Episode 31, uh, we're wrapping up on our first year doing podcasts here. And we're just really grateful for all the support we've gotten from the listeners so far. Uh, the reviews on iTunes, the, the Facebook comments and messages, the Instagram follows. We love you guys. Keep it up. Let us know how we're doing. If we can change anything, we'd love to hear it. Um. And lastly, before we get into the podcast, Brian and I will be attending the ATA show this year down in Louisville, Kentucky. So if anybody's going to be there, let us know. Uh, come say hi, connect, maybe have a brewski. Uh, if there's anything you guys want us to cover, um, the vendor list is online. You can see who's going to be there. And we can possibly ask some questions and maybe interview somebody uh, if you so want us to. So thanks again for listening. Brian, let's get into Eric Long and get this thing going. Welcome back, everybody, to the Habitat Podcast. I have Eric Long with Drumming Log Wildlife Management with us. How you doing, Eric? Hi. How you guys doing today? Good, good. Brian, you're there, too? Yeah, doing good, Jared. All right, all right. No, I'm doing good, Eric. How are you, sir? Oh, it's just wonderful. Living <laughs> the dream. <laughs> you ready for Christmas? I know we're uh, it's right around the corner here, and... Um, Christmas slash habitat season, if you ask me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I tell you what, Christmas is usually last-minute type shopping, and I promised myself and my wife that I would do a lot better, and I'm actually done. 
and I feel awkward. Like, I don't All know right. what to do with my hands. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? <laughs> no, that's good. I still, um, I know my dad and brother listen to this, so sorry, guys, but I still have to get them covered. Um, mm-hmm. I have one, one item for them each, which is, uh, it's so good. It should probably cover the other, you know, lack of items, but it's, uh, Brian, you, you bought a couple of them. I think you're giving one away. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. uh, it's a pretty good gift, but other than that, yeah, Christmas right around the corner. Habitat season is almost here. And, mm-hmm. um, we've been actually, Brian's been talking to you for a while. I'm trying to get you on here. And we are glad to finally have it happen. Yeah, well, I appreciate you guys reaching out for sure. No, I know that's awesome. Uh, I first heard about you on, I believe, it was the Wired to Hunt podcast. You were on that podcast, right? Yeah, many years ago, for sure. Yeah, that's when. How long ago was that? Oh, Do you I remember? Have no idea. No, not at all. That's when I first heard you, Brian. When did you first hear about Eric? Or how did you first hear about Eric? Uh, I've read some things uh, through the QDMA that he was involved in and also from the uh, Management Advantage series that was on TV and online, which I think it's still online now, not TV. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then uh, a friend of mine actually used Eric's uh, services through Drumming Log, and uh, I got to see Eric at a QDMA field event, which was awesome. I mean, if you guys ever see his name on a QDMA field event, I'd, I highly recommend going. He just has a way about presenting everything in a common sense fashion that all of us dummies can understand. Uh, all right, Eric. Well, not, I appreciate not, the kind <laughs> words. I owe you twenty dollars. So. <laughs> yeah. Now that we built you up, you know, here we go. <laughs> now I'm just gonna let everybody down. Thanks. <laughs> well, we always like to start the podcast. Um, to learn a little bit who you are, where you're from, as I like to say, paint the picture on on Eric Long, etc. So go ahead if you don't mind uh, and dive into that and tell us anything you want to tell us. Oh well, okay. Well, um, I kind of just grew up uh, somewhat on a farm, a rural community, and uh, you know I've just been on tractors and, and just been outside playing in the creeks and all the whole nine yards growing up. Wonderful. Wonderful life growing up in the Northeast Ohio, and um, just you know, as you got older, I realized like, what am I going to do for a living? You get to that point in your life, and it's like, well, farming is great, but there's something got to be more. And uh, I just I heard that hey, there could be uh, life in wildlife management and all that stuff, and I just chose that direction, and it's been uh, it's been very fulfilling for sure. Um, yeah, it's just been great trying to help people and, and all that stuff and, and uh, you know, helping people achieve their goals and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, it was funny. I, I told the story just the other day. Uh, when I was in sixth grade, uh, a wildlife officer came into our school and was talking. And um, he said, you know, for a dollar, well, does anybody know what a baby deer's called and I quickly rose my hand and I said fawn and he gave me the dollar well I kept that yeah I kept that dollar (laughs) all the way up till like my second year in college I had it framed above my desk and it was just motivation to keep going Uh, wow yeah very cool uh, yeah so yeah just uh, 
that kind of thing, you know. So. So were your were your parents or uh, family into like habitat work on the farm or just hunting or uh, and were you always an Ohio native? Yeah, yeah, um, Northeast Ohio. I grew up in Ashtabula County, and uh, where uh, Brian's property is actually close oh, yeah. to Pennsylvania and uh, by Lake Erie. And yeah, my family. My dad was in construction and stuff, and you know, just being on the farm, my buddy's farm, uh, occasionally and stuff. Uh, you know, it just wildlife abounds, and you know, just was gravitated toward that. And you know, my dad, he really didn't hunt too much at all. Um, he took me out a couple times when I was younger, but it was mostly my brother who, you know, led me on a path of, you know, hunting and fishing and all that good stuff. So, and, uh, you know, having friends in high school and just become obsessed with it. So, yeah. Yeah, it's easy to easy to get obsessed with, um, <laughs> yeah. at least if you ask me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know I was kind of, uh, you know, I always watch my, my dad come back from hunting and just you know, in awe on where have you been, where do you, where do you see, et cetera. But um, it was never any of the, the habitat type stuff. Uh, we never mm-hmm. owned property, et cetera. Uh, how did you get into habitat? Well, you know, it's through, I went to college, uh, Hawking College, which is in southeastern Ohio. And at that time it was basically, you know, not as just a associate's degree school, but it was one of the top, you know, natural resource schools in the country. And, um, yeah, just, you know, from basically farming to, you know, running a chainsaw, what you did on the farm, it would just come natural, you know, doing it at school and, and what have you. So, yeah, that's basically started that light bulb coming on, you know, if you will. So so you knew from day one with that dollar bill what you wanted to do pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, wow, I wish somebody would awesome. sometimes told me that I should have been a doctor occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think all parents are trained to say that. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. But. So after college, um, then what did you do? When did you start drumming log wildlife management, or how did uh, how did you go from college to the consulting side of things? Well, that's kind of a little bit of a long story. I'll make it short. Well, in college. Um, I took a, a class, and it was just a quarter credit, um, you know, toward a degree, and it was uh, wildland firefighting, fighting forest fires. And I just took it as a, just a filler, and I went through this, you know, the class, and it was like, my gosh, this is incredible. And, um, you know, I went after school, it was summer break, I was uh, working and got a phone call like, hey, you need to be in Columbus at such and such time, because like an idiot, I signed up for, you know, if you went out west, you know, sign here, and I did, and next thing you know, I'm on a plane to go into Oregon to fight forest fires, and absolutely, yeah, yeah I was like, what am I doing? Um, yeah, I did that for a whole summer, went out twice, and just absolutely fell in love with it, and even thought about doing that as a career, and um, yeah, it was just, that was it for me, I was like, I'm going to do this for a living, and um, got hired on to be, you know, work on a hotshot crew, but at the same time, you know, I was, uh, kind of given another job opportunity, if you will, in wildlife management. And then I was, you know, dating my wife at the time. I was like, well, I want to be married to her and have a good life. I guess I better choose the wildlife side. So that's where it started. And back in 2001, I remember laying in bed and 
just like, man, I kept on talking about it, talking about it, like starting a business, and uh, she got tired of listening to me, if you will, and <laughs> said, do it. And I'm like, uh, I wasn't expecting you to say that. But, uh, yeah, so that's in 2001 we started. But, you know, we've been managing, you know, I've been professionally managing for a while, like for about 20, close to 24 years, if you, yeah, I think about 24, 25 years. So, you know. Wow. And, Oh, good. You got a good wife, you know, lets you, or pushes you and lets you get off and, and go do cool stuff like that. That's awesome. Um, uh, it, that's where the story is. It's not so much what we do, like what you're doing, what Brian's doing, what your listeners are doing. The story is, is uh, the, the girlfriends and, and the women that are doing the boyfriends or husbands, it's the spouse or the other people that that's where the story is because the stuff that they have to deal with, <laughs> you know, the stress. Amen. Looking oh, amen. at the weather and cussing and taking family time <laughs> away where you should have been at a football game, soccer game, or whatever, and, you know, and uh, them putting up with uh, our passion, you know, for wildlife and stuff. So that's where the story should, should always be, so. No, that's a good point. I, my wife went away for the weekend. Um, I've been telling her to go away on a girls' trip for for years now because <laughs> I go hunting and and you know go fishing and do all this stuff. I you know go do something. And finally, she uh, she does. She leaves for a four day weekend. Well, I had the twins, four year old twins, and the baby boy for four days by myself. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, payback. Yeah, payback is a great term. <laughs> Oh yeah. man! So no, you're you're right about that. Um, th- that's cool. You've been in it for so long. Kind of gives you some some credibility. Maybe not. Maybe you don't see it that way, but I'm sure others may. And uh, yeah. you know, how long does it take a a habitat manager or a consultant to really start to to learn their stuff? Because I've been at it for a few <laughs> years now, and I'm still learning for sure. Well, I tell you what, and I'm not saying this just to say it. Of course, I'm I'm still learning. Yep. I mean, I have a degree. Uh, you do what you want with that, whatever that means. Um, you know, and then just it's just experience. And the you know, I always tell people the best consultants. Um, it's very easy to get an ego. You know, to to fall into that trap of you know I'm such and such. But the best consultant is someone who allows people to write in the book. You know, be open-minded because every client that I go to, you know, or property that I manage is like, I'm ex- I'm excited to be there, and I want you to teach me something, you know, and um, that's that's the best part. That's what keeps you going year after year and exciting, excited, that is, to, you know, meet new people and see what they're doing, and, and maybe, you know, there's something that you can learn from. And if you close your... You know, you close that off, you're going to be stuck. And you're not going to be having fun. And it's going to, you know, relay to the client and stuff like that. So, yeah, just open book policy right in it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I have uh, one more two-part question before uh, we get yeah. into the Habitat stuff. Uh, where are you kind of limited to location for your consulting gigs? And are you or are you not a Buckeye fan? <laughs> <laughs> this is a time where Brian needs to leave. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Um, I'm in Dresden, Ohio, which is basically an hour east of Columbus, near Zanesville, Ohio. But that's his home yep. base. Um, I travel all over the country doing consulting, and and I'm 
I really don't even do much in Ohio anymore. Um, oh, when really? I first wow. started, yeah, yeah. When I first started, we had a big Amish community where I'm at, and like ninety something percent of my clientele was Amish. They were just fantastic to work with, and um, yeah, you just kind of work your way through that. And I learned a lot, you know, through them, and you know, you know, uh, create your craft, if you will, and and um, yeah, it's just you kind of run out of clientele. I know that kind of sounds silly, but um, but mostly, I mean, I'm on a plane mostly from January to May, June. You know, I drive where I can, and, and then, you know, I'm on a plane going state to state and property to property. So, yeah, we go all over the place. And no oh, comment on the Buckeyes, right? Oh, yeah, I forgot that part. That's no, that's okay. <laughs> we we yeah, can just no. skip over oh, the Buckeyes. That's fine. <laughs> oh, my God, of course, you know. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, go blue, right? Yeah. No, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, know it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah one day. Yeah, one, one day. day. Maybe yeah. next year. Yeah, maybe. I don't know why no, I ask these questions yeah. and just torture yeah. myself. But. No. Yeah, it's, and it's also exciting now that the Browns are actually a football team, so that's always fun. So, yeah. For sure. Go. Very cool. Yeah, so, yeah. Big, big fan of Ohio sports, unfortunately. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Now, Eric, one thing that uh, really got me interested in the the philosophy of your approach to wildlife management, and I know I hear this repeatedly from a lot of guys talk about your approach. You know, everything we see on TV, everything we read in some of the so-called big-name hunting magazines, it's all food plots, food plots, food plots, deer, big bucks, antlers, and Hearing you talk about native vegetation, native fields, uh, creating openings for wildlife, and, and just, just your approach on how you, you take all wildlife into consideration and get us to step back and realize that the property management is way more than just shooting big bucks. Could you uh, go into that a little bit and yeah. uh, expound on your philosophy there? Yeah, I mean, you can't go anywhere and you know the wildlife habitat or deer management uh, magazines you know podcasts such yourselves um you know blogs it's all food plots you know it's food plots food plots and it's just you know it's a subject that gets talked you know way too much and too much emphasis on it which i want to make sure clear that you know it is a piece of the puzzle it's a very important piece of the puzzle obviously but you know, it just it gets beaten down. It's like, well, there's a, there's obviously more to everything. You know, when it comes to you know wildlife management, deer management. So, yeah, I just just kind of headed in that direction because it just offers so much more, and it makes you you know if you're just doing food plots. And I don't mean to say this to offend anybody. It's just a general statement that you know when you're just doing food plots, you're not. You're not doing, I mean, you're not, you can't classify yourself necessarily as a deer manager, okay? You're more of a, you know, you're still a consumer. But when you go full, you dive into, you know, the pond of wildlife management, man, it, you realize, you step back and go, oh, my gosh, there's more to everything. It just takes the blinders off, and then right. truly you can start managing for things, you know? Um, I, I always kind of, you know, kind of going off topic here, it's like I challenge everybody, you know, like, hey, learn about another species. Do uh, Allow yourself to learn about something else other than deer because everything is interconnected. When you learn about, I'm picking a species like rough grouse, for example, you know, 
when you learn about that, you're also managing about um, you're managing white-tailed deer. If you learn about bluebirds, you're learning about native native habitat as an open you know uh, old field habitat, which makes you a better manager to manage for the species that you're really you know you're focusing on as you know, i.e. Uh, white-tailed deer. So when you learn about other things, you know, you become a better deer manager. You can sit there and, you know, hang that on your chest like I am a, a manager. You know, when you're just concentrating on food plots, you know, you're that's it. I mean, that's all you're doing. Right. And now you're not opening yourself up to new worlds in that, that can make you, you know, um, have more fun and more involved and, you know, just – Taking a step back and realize that there's more to everything. It just makes you a better manager when you concentrate more than just food plots. And that was my goal with, you know, way back when. It's like, wait a minute here. We're just concentrating on this, and we're not really fulfilling what, we sh- what we're trying to do. So I know that was a lot of ramble there, but, yeah, I mean, that's my fault. No, that's perfect. No, Eric, you, you have me wondering um – I, I like that a lot, and what would be the first thing someone like me who's pretty much only managed for deer can do to open my eyes and become more of a manager versus the food plot consumer type, just entry-level type guy um, that I am? How can I open my eyes, or what would be the, your first stepping stone that you'd say, go do this, and then you know, and then this maybe? I say this jokingly, but get off social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get off that first. No, but no, it's just, um, God, that's a very tough question to answer. I mean, it, it's for new people starting out, and not that you are, it's just, you know, throwing a blanket over everything. It's just allowing yourself to be exposed to new things. Do not be afraid to fail. Number one thing I try to tell, you know, most of my clients is you're going to fail. And you, and I know this sounds ridiculous, you kind of want to. Why? Because then you learn, you know, you want to make some mistakes. Absolutely. Yeah, so you, you learn, you step back and go, man, <laughs> why did I do that for? And, but just opening yourself, allowing yourself to just, Separate. I mean, I made a joke about social media, but if you just step back from that, if you will, and allow yourself to, like I said earlier, just learn. You know, get, you know, open that thing. It's called book. You know, um, open the book up, read. You know, uh, take your time, ask questions. There's no such thing as a stupid question. And when it comes to wildlife management, because it might, you might think it's a stupid question, but it might be a start of a, a great debate to figure out why this, you know, X, Y, and Z is happening. So it, it's, it's supposed, all this stuff is supposed to be fun, you know, because when it's fun, why? You, you want to do it. You know, you want to tackle it. So that's the big thing is when you, you find yourself struggling through or why is this doing, you need to take a step back and remember, why am I doing this? You know, why am I doing this? Go back to your goals. Sometimes we get swayed off left and right because of, you know, your neighbors doing this or, you know, people, your friends, uh, Facebook friends are doing this. You know, you kind of get blinded, you know. It's like, wait a minute, just go back to doing what you're doing. Um, yeah, I don't know if no, I answered your question no, there. That's but great. Thank just, you. Yeah, it's just slow down, take a breath. You're going to fail. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing and just do what your property is telling you what to do. 
Yeah, well, I've been watching Brian on Facebook for a couple of years now, and he's setting the bar pretty high. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, he's doing a fantastic I've, job. Seriously, I've got a good plan in place, thanks to Eric. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, but no, it takes you can. It's plan is one thing. It's taking somebody you know uh, like Brian, someone that's very inspired, you know, and um, I, you know, I it, I stole this line from somebody and I forgot who it was or I give him credit. It's like my job as a I, as my job as an educator because that's when I really am. Um, it's not my job to fill your mind up with stuff. My job is to inspire you, and I'm going to take you to a certain point, and then it's it's you. You know, I, maybe I'll get a little bit of credit. I'm like a grain of sand on the beach. But in the whole scheme of things, it's you that took that plan and created life. Because that's what you we do as managers, man. We create life. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's a great point about uh, opening up our eyes because that's, that's one of the main things that stuck out when I went and saw you at the uh, QDMA field event here in Pennsylvania. Um, when you talked about those native fields and creating those openings, like on, mm-hmm. I, I had a big field of, I guess, about five acres of uh, goldenrod and walking back there and right away you're thinking in your mind, boy, I got to fire up the tractor, spend all kind of money on equipment, gas, <laughs> get this thing mowed down, get it tilled up, get seed in the ground. And then, yeah. you know, without even stopping to think about, if you want to go into the details of, of what a what a guy's thinking that way is missing on those native fields. That'd be great for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the best thing that you could do after this podcast is done is go into your barn and take the blades off your brush hawk. That should be priority number one. But um, oh man, no, it's nice. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just um, you know, where do I begin with that? It's just, it's everything that a deer needs is usually on their property. It just needs manipulated. You know, sometimes obviously we got to create things and stuff, but most of the time it's there. And we just, once again, we get in a, in a tunnel vision of like I do, I need to spend money. I need to do this and that. And it's like, wait a minute, like an old field environment, uh, not to repeat myself from other blogs or whatever. It's like, you know, most of the deer's diet is consists of native habitat. Through the growing season, it has everything that they need. It has mineral, water, um, everything, protein. It's all there. You know, they don't like pokeweed, for example. It's that pink stalk with the purple berries. You see it on the edge of fact. I mean, that's 32% protein, you know, roughly. Wow. And it's highly desired. And it has so much, it has everything it has. And it's like ragweed is 18% protein, goldenrod 16. You know, these are all rough numbers, obviously. But um, beggar's lice, you know, it's in the, you know, uh, high 20s. Everything is there, you know, let it work for you. You know, it's like you have to decide when you're managing a piece of property, you, first of all, it's like, what, what are my goals? You know, when I sit down with a client, um, you know, we, I, I want to talk about goals, about you. Like, yeah, we all want to manage, you know, for big deer. I get all that. That's why I'm there. But it all be, Every management thing is around you. What are you capable of? What are your limitations? If you're if you're a family man and and you're limited with time, you need to attack that property a certain way. You know, you might be doing stuff that's outside the box and uncomfortable because no one else in your little circle is doing that. You know, but if you do have time, you have the money, you have all the equipment, then you might do a certain thing. But 
myself, I let the property tell me what it needs to do, and it's like a lot of native vegetation. It, it, and some of the best properties I manage don't have one soup plot on them. You know, it's just it's wow. it's, it's cover manipulation, and um, not that we don't plant food plots, but it's just if you don't need to, don't do it necessarily. I know that's a very strong statement, and I should have reworded that, but it's just let it. Let the property produce what it can for you. So it's just it saves you money, saves you time. Um, it's not cutting corners whatsoever, you know. So, you know, so that early successional type of habitat, you know, it's like 60 to 80 percent of wildlife overall needs that early successional habitat. So, anyway. Now, now I want you to dive into more what cover manipulation means. Um, I, I just have a question on what you just mentioned, if you have, so so I, for example, I mowed some area for food plots and I left some standing area as well. A lot of it was um, wild black raspberry, a little bit of goldenrod, but now that it's winter, a lot of that stuff is, is laid down, uh, no cover anymore at all, and it seems like the bucks always want to stay in the cover. Is there something more you could do so I want to say you want to leave an old field and and uh, early successional maybe, but then it gets matted down or it isn't quite enough cover. What would you do in that case? Man, that's a very tough question because it's one of those things where you have to see it, okay. you know, to, to really answer that question. But given a, a broad answer to that, put this way: the more diverse your property is, the more attractive it's going to be for wildlife. Okay, and what I mean by that, that is deer. Okay, but um, the more diverse, it's like taking an old field. Like if you have an acre, let's say an acre square field, most people want to go in there, mow it, plant a food plot. Right, right. Okay, look at the look at the money and time that you're going to do. What's the first thing that you should be doing if you want to create that? What's the first thing? You should take a soil sample. Okay, that's time, that's money. Now, I'm dramatizing this, obviously. Sure. But then you got to sit there and, you know, then you obviously got to have the equipment for it. But then you got to, you know, then you mow. And then you, you know, you, you prep the ground. You're spending money on lime. You're spending money on fertilizer. You're spending money on seed. You know, you're going to, you know, Cabela's and I call it horn porn on the bag, you know. And <laughs> it's just, yeah, you know. Yeah. So you, then you, you know, because it has somebody's face on it, you buy it. And then, you're, you know, you're, you're planting. Then you use the herbicides. And then, you know, comes, you know, fall, you're, you're going back in there and you're, you know, fertilizing maybe or spraying or you're, you're just going and you're spending money, okay? When, overall, you could have let that old field go or did a controlled burn in it or mowed it and, like, to kind of answer your question, to diversify just that field, you could have gone in there and drilled, like, warm season grasses such as switchgrass at a very low rate where you would have had that cover that equals food in the sense of the goldenrod, the, the old field environment in there. And that doesn't mean you couldn't take a little quarter acre in the corner of your favorite little honey hole tree stand and plant it or just a little kill plot, if you will. Right, but in right. that field, I'm going to produce more tons of forage than most people, okay, air quote, most people will by planting a food plot. I'm, I'm going to be producing, if I manage that field correctly, over 2,000 pounds of food per acre. And you got to remember this, when it comes to deer, what runs a deer's life other than a couple weeks out of the year? It's a belly. And, and right. a deer will eat roughly, roughly, air quote again, you know, 10 pounds of food per day. 
and you got to sit back and go, how am I going to produce this? If I want to manage, not just kill, but manage for wildlife, I need to produce cover that equals food. And by letting old field environments go, the briars, you know, an early successional edge effect, you know, all that is just diversifying your property. It's being attractive. It's food. It's tonnage of food. Now, this time of year, obviously, those old fields are just kind of blah. You know, there's not much forage. And that's where, you know, your chainsaw manipulation goes in where you're doing cuts. You know, the previous year you created that where you got those openings that, you know, letting sunlight hit the forest floor and you have an eruption of food. You know, that will get deer, obviously, through, you know, post-rut, et cetera, et cetera, feeds those deer. So if you have a high deer population, you know, 10 pounds of food per day, you need to diversify your property. And that's where food plots, in my opinion, sometimes fail because a lot of us don't own hundreds and hundreds of acres and, hundreds, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment where you can go in there and plant a lot of forage you know, supplemental hmm. forage. So, you know, cover manipulation, control burn, mowing, sometimes some herbicide, chainsaw, you know, it's just, it's all that stuff. No, that, that, that that's grows very here. interesting. Yeah. I, the favorite part about this podcast is how often I sit here with my gears turning now and I, I got, like now I'm thinking that <laughs> what you said about that, that drilling the switchgrass at a lighter rate, letting the, the early successional come up in there as well. You have cover, oh, you yeah. have food, you have you have everything covered. I mean Yeah. I mean you could sit there and even micromanage that. I mean that's the thing, it's all this management. It's it's how much you know, the more you learn, obviously the more you do. And yeah. like just taking an old field, okay, it's all goldenrod. Well that's the sixteen percent protein. Let's manipulate that that by doing like maybe a controlled burn if if you're able to burn. Let's say you can. To the burn, and you went in there with a disc and, and rough, you know, lightly disc it to promote broadleaves, those beneficial weeds. And then maybe you went in there and, in some sections of it, did some warm season grass sections, or even planted pines in the warm season sections, you know, to protect. So that's a double more, uh, more cover, diversifying just that field, micromanaging it. I mean, it's a lot what you can do just in an acre, you know, produce forage, produce cover. You're increasing the care capacity on your property per acre, you know. So it's just that's where I'm talking about where native vegetation, to me, is a little bit more important than just the forage because it opens up a whole new world. It's exciting. No, it, it's very Being exciting. Being a donor, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, plus, I mean, say you do have hundreds of acres and lots of money and want, have all this equipment, I mean, you're getting more food out of something that oh, yeah. you, would, you would let go, you know, to what you're talking about versus something that's only growing six inches tall. I mean, yep. yeah, interesting, yeah. very interesting. Yeah, not saying that food plots. I mean, we plant food plots. We love playing farmer and the whole thing. I'm just giving people another way of thinking. You know, yep. you got to – this doesn't right. get talked about a lot. Why? Even on hunting shows, outdoor channel, why don't they talk about old field environments? Well, because it doesn't make anybody any money. You know, that's why, and that's more, to me, it's more beneficial for wildlife by having natural native vegetation. Excuse me. No, that's awesome. I think um, I want to hear more about the, the cover manipulation. What else do you do uh-huh. and for cover manipulation? I, I know that and on my property, and Brian, I'm not sure about yours now that you've been working extremely hard the last couple of years, but mine now, mid-December, 
well, late December is uh, very barren now. I can see a long ways, which I thought I had covered. I definitely do not. So when you're talking about cover manipulation, I, I guess expound on that some more. Okay. Well, when you're like at Brian's property, he showed me a place where he did a cut. He had thick areas with really high stem density that he cut, and he had these places that I called what, what was a medium medium cover, and then there was right. thin. That is what you want. It's diversifying even your cut. Sometimes when you go into an area, obviously you just don't pick up a chainsaw and it'll whack and stack. You know, that's that's a no-no. you got to have a plan. you got to have a reason why you're doing it at this spot. And how do I want, you know, how do I want to do this? And, you know, in my opinion, that medium cover is more beneficial than the thin, obviously, and then the thick. You want thicker areas for certain times of the year. It might only be utilized just a handful of times throughout the whole year, but it might have been that time to get that deer through, like, a gun season, you know, to hold them a little bit, uh, predators, etc. So you want to diversify even cutting, you know, cutting trees. So you kind of go a little bit heavy. Um, sometimes you just, just pick a little bit, and then sometimes you just do very little. You want to diversify everything that you do because that always wins, okay? Mm. So uh, same thing with old field type stuff, like we just talked about, diversifying that, you know, it being not being afraid to can do a controlled burn um, if you're allowed to legally in your state or area that you're doing it. Um, you know, if you can't do that, herbicide, mowing, disking, you know, that diversifies. Uh, don't do everything into like a square, you know, deer are species of edge, you know, they like, like on Brian's property, it was a perfect example of perfect, I mean, it was almost all the work that he previously did before I got there, he had thin, he had medium cover, and he had that thicker area. Very, he, he had the knowledge to go ahead and diversify that. I mean, I mean, remember that day we were walking around. It's like this is absolutely perfect. If I could take a take a picture of this, I you know, I would. Remember that? Yeah, for sure. I mean that that made me feel good that I wasn't completely screwing up the the yeah. uh, plan. And uh, yeah, it made it made a big difference uh, understanding it because doing it's one thing, and you, and you think that you're on the right track, but I think that's important. Like you said, sometimes just to step back, take everything in. And uh, try to learn as much as you can to make sure you're going to stay on that right track. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Eric, with the cover manipulation, do you have customers that you show up to who went ahead and went at it themselves, like, unlike Brian, who got it right, where they get it wrong? And you're like, oh, damn. Oh, I have like, some things wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's hear about yeah, those. Perfect. No, <laughs> well, we Eric, Eric mentioned about, you know, be careful doing things in square because that's that's sort of how our brains work. And in nature, there's not too many squares at all. So you want to try to keep things flowing. Like with my orchards, I planted everything perfectly square, 25-foot uh, spacing. And uh, I asked him about that, and uh, I appreciated his honesty. He said, well, it's okay, but I wouldn't have done it that way. <laughs> and then after I got to thinking about it more, I understood exactly where he was coming from. Yeah, just, and you said it the best, it's making everything that you're doing flow from one end to the property to the other end. You know, having a plan, making things flow, that's very important, very important. 
for to everything that makes sense. So. Okay, so if somebody has to say they hinge cut an area and it was in the wrong spot, um, mm-hmm. and maybe there isn't the wrong spot because you're you're adding maybe some some cover and some food that wasn't there before, so there are a couple couple pros. Uh, but say there was there were a few cons. What would you do then? If, if say I was I was to make a mistake and you came in and said, "Hey, wrong place, wrong this that," then what happens? Well, we get some tape and start taping trees back up. So, no, it's just it's, um, <laughs> yeah. tape or no, it's it's yeah, it's one of those things. Okay, it's okay. Let's say it was, which usually it's not. Okay, but because you know the property better than I do, you know, I will only put step foot on a piece of property for half a day, and you know, I can only you know do so much. And um, I mean, there was a reason why you felt that that was the spot. Now, I might have seemed like something that said maybe not, but okay, so what we're going to do is work from that, okay? There's no, I mean, you failed, but you didn't fail because there's, in, in the wildlife management thing, okay, you just pick up from there. You know, you're going to create something maybe by putting some soft mass into the woods there to make it flow to where it should be. You're, you know, directing maybe some deer with, a, you know, a natural fence by laying some trees down. You know, just kind of fix, fix the problem, if you will. So, yeah, there's always solutions to everything, you know. You just got to stop and think and take your time and not panic. But the big thing is like with the chainsaw management, because that type of manipulation is, you know, it's obviously we want to produce food. We want to produce, you know, cover that equals food. But, you know, when you do that, you're trying to do what? You're trying to make that sunlight hit the forest floor. Whether you right. hinge cut it, you herbicide it, or you just cut the tree off. Personally, I don't care. I'm not one of those guys where I'm a big hinge cutter and, you know, directing deer to a certain area. It's just not my style. Not that we don't sometimes, you know, incorporate that. It's just that's not my, my thing. But when people go in there and do some chainsaw management, usually, not always, but usually this is the first time they've ever done something like this. So all they're doing, they, they, I go in there and they see, you know, they're so excited to show you about the cutting that they did or whether you came back to the property and they're so excited and proud of themselves. And all they did is take that limiting factor that was the canopy up high and they put it on the ground. So the sunlight is not penetrating, you know, through that. So you know, encouraging oh, them, wow. them. yeah, not, inc- yeah, you're bringing the canopy down to the ground level. That's all you did. You know, that you didn't, yeah, you got a bunch of trees down and, you know, it's open, you know, and you're assuming that's what's going to happen. But no, all you did is you put the canopy on the forest floor and it's still not going to do what you want to do. So, you know, going there, encouraging people, yeah, you did a great thing, but you need to get in there. The next step is to, you know, kind of buck some stuff up, you know, just, just because it's thick doesn't mean a deer's going to, you know, venture in it and bed down. You know, they, they don't want to struggle. They want an easy in and out access because of us or predators or whatever. You know, so when you do a cut, stand back. You know, I know this sounds silly to some, but go in there yourself. I mean, if you can't, if you're struggling, what do you think they're going to be doing? Right. You know, as a whole, sure. obviously, hopefully you understand what I said there. But, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, so make it easy. You know, so. Sure. Now, Eric, one thing that you keep mentioning is that there's no one size fits all, and it's it's tough for you to stay without seeing an exact situation on a property. Mm-hmm. But is there any is there any must haves on any 
uh, items that you go into a plan with? Like, is there is there certain things that you put into every habitat plan, or is it completely no. all? Based? No, it's no, it's per property, and that's one thing that gets it kind of frustrates. You know, um, I can you know a little bit of us consultants is this one size fits all type management that you know that, that people are doing, and. Um, it's all up to what you're capable of and comfortable doing on a piece of property. And I don't mean to go on a tangent here. And that's not my, hopefully I don't do that. It's like, no, that's your, good. Yeah. It's just like, it's your property. You know, we sat down and we talked before we even stepped foot on the property. I want to know about you and I'm listening to every word, even though I might not appear to is I'm listening. I'm listening to your demeanor. I'm listening to, you know, I'm asking you questions about your family sometimes like you know um what's your what's your what's your lifestyle you know are you busy what's your limitations that is going to dictate what we do on that property because i can sit there and go walk the property and go yeah we need to get a dozer in here we need to do this we need to do that and you got to do this and you're thinking to myself you're thinking to yourself like well yeah then you go start doing it. it's like wait a minute i gotta be here i gotta be there i, I just i can't you know look at your situation you live in you know Pittsburgh area, and you drive all the way up to, you know, Lake Erie thing there. I mean, you're limited. Right. So, you you know, that's the style of management that you're going to do. Um, you know, if it's a solid woods, everybody, you know, kind of gets excited. Maybe we'll get a dozer in here and we'll do that. Well, maybe that's not what you need, you know. Just because you want, maybe you don't, maybe you don't need that. Maybe based on your time and your financial situation, because time and money, unfortunately, fuels this stuff. You know, sometimes time is worth more than money. But if you go into, like, a solid wooded area, it's like some people say, hey, what is the perfect habitat? That If Eric had to pick a perfect spot, a percentage, you know, half ag, half wooded, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's, I hate that statement because that, that's, that's encouraging people to go down the wrong road. Like, I have to have this. No. If you're to, like, a solid woods, like, like the southern Ohio, for example, along the Ohio River, you're not getting a food. You're not getting a dozer and you know putting a, a dozer on 60% slope, you know, and putting a food plot. Why would you do that? Well, you can go in there and manipulate the habitat or excuse me cover and plant maybe do a wildlife opening, you know, cutting an area and planting soft mass, you know, an early mid late drop mass tree. That's your food plot. That's a one time investment. Immensely, you're going. Wow, it's not a food plot. Yes, it is. It's a one time investment. That let's say an apple is going to drop mid or early mid late season, so it's an all year all hunting season food plot, you know. And then you you do the same thing. Pretend that that was a, a nice wheat field that you planted, but in, with trees, you know. Create a, a funnel effect. Go into it. It's the same thing, you know. So to say a certain percentage this and this, that's not that shouldn't be. Each property is different. It's not a one size fits all. Never, you know. It's based on you. What are you comfortable doing? You should always challenge yourself, obviously, but don't get wrapped up that I have to have, I have to have open, I have to have this, I have to have that. That's not that's not real world situations. That's not reality. So, and you're not kidding well, you about uh, about time, <laughs> time and money. I mean, time for sure on on my end is like, you know, you got you got to make the most of your days. So it's. Yeah. It's cool to hear you, you know, you say that versus, um, yeah, I mean, like the, like Brian's plan, though. I'm sure, Brian, that took a lot of time, right? 
I mean, you were up there busting your ass for all summer, getting that thing going. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but uh, like Eric said, it's it's what what you're able to put into it and what you can and what your limitations are. But I'm just excited and pumped about it to get going. And, and, and man, the differences I'm seeing, it makes you want to do more and work harder. Yeah. And, and that's the thing to piggyback on that. It's just it's so easy in this deer management stuff. You know, I don't know if anybody that listens or follows me um, on my Facebook page uh, you know, uh, I'm a different type of consultant. I remember giving a seminar one time in Kentucky, and somebody walked up to me and said, dude, you're different. And I, I took that not as an insult because I look at things differently. I'm a realist, you know. And it all depends on you, and it's so easy to get discouraged when you do deer management or wildlife management as a whole. It's so easy to get frustrated. And that's when you step back and go, wait a minute, maybe I'm tackling this the wrong way. Instead of planting, you know, stressing out about fertilizer costs when you know in your heart that you can't afford to do it, but you know you have to because your food plot's struggling. You know, it, it, that's, that's undue stress. I mean, that is horrible stuff that I deal with, my clients deal with. I, I mean, I do. You know, trying to rob Peter to pay Paul to do this stuff. And sometimes instead of doing the food plot, let it just maybe you have to go be uncomfortable with your decision and let it revert to an old field thing. And then you can manage it to the point where I'll just put a little kill plot here. That I can handle, you know. Maybe stepping outside the box, instead of planting a food plot, maybe I'll just plant a, a, a hard mass area, you know, a Chinese chestnut, if you will. You know, stepping outside your so it's easier for you to get through. And then you can revamp. You can get back to being focused. You know, taking a step back to take those several steps forward. I mean, that's that's management. You know, so right. for sure. Yeah. No, I like that outlook on it. Um, taking a step back to take several steps forward. Mm-hmm. That's something to think about, right there. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah, it's just it's it's very frustrating at times. Yeah, and I don't know what you mean trying to. Trying to rob Peter to pay Paul and get all these things done and the <laughs> at the right timing, the rain's coming, the rain's not coming, whatever it may be. Um, and you got to rob Peter a lot when you start <laughs> buying fertilizer for corn. Yeah, yeah. It's like some years you're going to some years you're going to be on top of a mountain waving a flag, look at me. But most years, let's be real. Most years, it's not like that. You know, right. it's like anybody getting in this. This is not. <laughs> Rainbows and unicorns here. You, you know, it's like I always joke around, and this is not a, a, a directly to my clientele, but a lot of times I turn into a psychologist. I'm on the phone till 11 o'clock trying to talk them off the building, you know? So it's just, you know, it's like, hey, man, I get it. I, I know. I know what you're doing. You know, I feel I feel you, you know? So, that's hilarious. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So, no, that's part of it. Yeah, it's it's a, the big thing too. Is like uh, kind of getting sidetracked here. It, usually, here January, February, March. It's it's the time of year where a lot of college students they'll call and ask for advice or a job or whatever. And the, it, the question always comes up more times than not. It's like, well, what makes a good consultant? I mean, you know, what is that? It's not what you know. The client's going to pick up whether you're you, you're knowledgeable or not. It's that first five to ten minutes of meeting somebody. 
they got to have full faith in you. That's the hardest part about being a consultant is being upfront, being honest, look people in the eye and tell them what they don't want to hear. <laughs> you know, by doing it in a way where, you know, hey, let's get through this. We're going to get through it together. You know, so that's why I'm here. Absolutely. Lean on me. So. All right. Well, I know your line is always open at 11 p.m. If I need a need a question answer, I, I always tell I always tell everybody I'm up till 11 o'clock. If you call after that, the phone gets tossed to my wife. And trust me, you got you got to call at 11:01. Um, <laughs> Eric, quick quick question for you. I've asked this question maybe I don't know two three times on on our podcast so far. Um, but yeah. I'm I love trees. What is your favorite tree to plant? Totally random here, but I just thought no. cuz you mentioned Chinese chestnut, um you know, what what's your favorite tree to plant as a as a general go-to? Man, that's a really tough thing. I mean, and you that, can that choose two or three if you want to, but Yeah, it's almost all of them. No, it's just uh I'm I love chestnut. You know, it's just a special tree. You know, you have a good chestnut production in right species. Um you know, uh, like the wildlife group in Alabama, Morris Nursery up in your neck of the woods, phenomenal deer management nurseries. They're, those nurseries are for you and me, and they're fast-producing. There's some amazing people creating some amazing plants, you know, that are quick and et cetera. But, you know, a deer will walk through the best white oak acorn crop just to get to those chestnuts certain times of the year, you know. So it's just I love that. Um, I'm a soft mass guy as well. Um, I love that, like the, you know, apple package. It's early, mid, late drop. I mean, it's just phenomenal that people are capable of producing something like that, you know, and it's just great. It's a great management tool. It's in the toolbox. So, yeah. So, perfect. I had to do it. great. Yeah. All right, moving on. I want to cover um, what you feel is our current state of hunting and conservation. Uh, and more in terms of some projects you're working on with a gentleman named Cody. Maybe you can inform us about some of that stuff, uh, as it's all very new to me. Okay. Well, here's the thing, and this is going to be a lot of, you know, going on, so stop me if I go too much, too long on this. You're good. Go ahead. Okay. Well, the big thing is, is I guess, you know, there's a gentleman named Cody Altizer. We're not related, but he's my brother. Um, it's just we... We got together. He was a client, you know, starting out in Virginia, and uh, we met on social media of all places. And um, we just, we just, he's a young guy, but with an old soul. He's this amazing guy. And we kind of hit it off, and we were talking about stuff, the state, like what you just asked me. And um, we had a lot of similarities in how we felt. And and, uh, throughout the years, knowing him, I don't know if he recalls how it all happened, but, you know, doing this, consulting stuff and habitat work and, and stuff, it, it, you, you kind of get sometimes burnt out. I mean, I've been doing it for a long time. And you get frustrated with stuff. So I kind of was, we're sitting around a fire and drinking some liquid, brown liquid stuff. And, um, yeah, so, and he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, Man, I just, I feel stuck. I, I just feel, you know, I'm in a, in a rut. And he's like, well, how do you, you know, kind of elaborate on that and I'm like man everybody is going right I want to go left I mean that's my personality now you know um, almost philosophical if you will and um, he's like well what is that what is left and I'm like I don't know he goes let's do it so <laughs> I'm like okay so we just started doing you know, talking 
you know, we spend half hour, 40 minutes on the phone, you know, and um, just talking about conservation. What is wrong with the industry? What is this? Just, uh, you know, our opinion type stuff. And um, so we created these. We have four videos out now that's, you know, short films. And if you go to watch those, you'll understand, you know, some of the things that we might be talking about here. It's just we've become so obsessed with, and this is obviously just my opinion. doesn't mean it's true. It's, you know, we've become obsessed with ourselves, almost narcissistic. You know, we're trying to, with the capability of a cell phone and, you know, doing a web show, you know, we can create a brand. It's so easy. We can be Michael Waddell. I mean, we can be Lee and Tiffany in today's world. Sure. And it doesn't cost money. It doesn't cost you anything because you have a cell phone. And you get so, people are losing that. It's not about you. It's about wildlife. You know, it's, it is. It's, 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 we, we've lost the term of what conservation truly means. And I wrote a, an article, uh, like a little blog about, you know, uh, conservation clubs, out, you know, sportsmen's clubs. You know, back in the day when I was young, you know, growing up in the 80s, man, I got drugged to a sportsman's club. I learned about politics. I learned about life. I learned about everything there. You know, Absolutely. I learned about everything. You had you had that state agency people come in, and there was a lot of respect there. You know, they respected the officer or the wildlife management state agency, came in and talked. There was respect on both sides. The state agency kind of needed their support and vice versa. That's how things got done. And occasionally, that will shoot a gun. But that was last on the list. I mean, you learned about wildlife. You learned about everything. And today, as like I drive to work, there's there's three conservation clubs, and one has a four-rent sign on it. I mean, that says so much of where we are as sportsmen and women. Yeah. I mean, sir, now, to their fault, it's they didn't evolve. You know, it, it, look at the NWTF, look at QDMA, look at all these organizations. Sometimes, if you look, they're kind of struggling because, you know, when the sportsmen's clubs kind of went on their way out, what came, what replaced them? NWTF, for example. That's what replaced it. I'm part of an organization. I can stick a sticker on the back of my truck and it represents who I am, but I don't have to do anything. I don't have to, I don't have to do anything true and then after that now it's it's not even that it's about what i can do you know look what i can do and that's where the disconnect is i mean with cwd for example all these other diseases and all this all these topics of discussion in, in our world you know our circle of issues you know we, we're, we're disconnected from what is actually going on i mean Kind of talk about CWD, for example, and it all relates to this. There was a gentleman in Missouri this past season that just went on a complete tangent about CWD, and I won't say his name. I mean, he defamed the state agency of Missouri. Yeah, It's like, wait a minute. Yeah, I mean, it's like, what are you doing? You're making things worse. You're acting like a child. And, and what, why? Why are you at? Because it affects you personally. You're losing the big scope of things. Whether you agree with the disease or not, you're, you're discrediting a state agency. It's their job. Every state agency in this country, it's their job 
to do to address issues. I mean, that's what you want. And the comment that really upset me in the whole thing is, who hired these people? Wait a minute. You did. You hired them. And unfortunately, because of the disconnect between sportsmen and the state agency, they're hiring people that don't fit us. You know, they don't fit you. Sure. So technically, you hire these people because you're disconnected, you know, because it is all about you. But, you know, I've kind of got off the subject of what no, you're not doing. But, no, it's just it's it's about conservation. It's about, you know, I did one that was called, you know, Cody, what's the future of wildlife? It's And the opening thing is, like, there's 20 people in a room, you know, and there's a dead body on the on the floor that represents wildlife. Back in the day, sportsmen's clubs, they knew what to do to help wildlife. Today, everybody's screaming around, where's the doctor? You know, no one knows what to do, you know, because we're so disconnected of what truly all this is about. It's about wildlife. Number one priority when you jump into, I mean, that's that's your title. People say, oh, I'm a conservationist. What What's that mean to you? You know, planting a food plot is not being a conservationist. That's well, running a food plot. Yeah, I mean that 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 aside, I mean a lot of people in my area that I know um, don't even do that. So it's like yeah, and, and there's I mean there's an organization called the Sportsman's Alliance. I don't know if you guys have ever even heard of it. And it's unfortunate if you haven't. The Sportsman's what? Alliance. 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 Yes. Yep. Yeah, they're, they're the oh, people yeah. that yeah. yeah they're the people that fight for us, sportsmen and women, and they should be the most well-funded or held oiled machine, but they're not. Right. It's just a shame because they're fighting for us. It's like we don't care. I mean, we're, just like, we're once again, we're disconnected. And um, I'm kind of raising my voice here, aren't I? But well, so, <laughs> so your videos no. are, are more or less um, trying to help people in today's world become more connected to yes. what maybe you feel they should be, uh, which is what I feel it should be as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and what's interesting is that Habitat Work does that. Um, yeah. you, you get the emotional connection to more than just hanging a tree stand and, and shooting a buck, which, shit, I'd love to do that. But it's it's more, I mean, we're we're deer hunting all year long pretty much, if, if you want to kind of put it in layman's yeah. terms. And it's nice to yeah. be able to, to really get that good feeling when you're when you go out there and your oats are six inches tall because the rain just came or you know etc. So yeah, I mean it's like everything in our industry. I mean from I mean as soon as deer season's over, what what happens next on social media? Yeah, no, I mean it's all about sheds. It's fishing. all about yeah, yeah. or yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's like in the deer world, it's next is sheds. I mean, well, not here. Just, we're know. gonna we're getting fired up here. We're just about to get rolling. But no, you're right. It does. Yeah. I mean, product it's, sales for different companies yeah. go out, you know, out the window until June again. Right. I mean, no, you're yeah. right. You're right. It does. Yeah. Yeah, and as much as you know, uh, it's it's such a positive thing because it gets people out. You know, uh, there's the, you know a hashtag shed rally, which is a phenomenal thing because it gets people outside. It's it's phenomenal. But then, once again, you're starting to get people when you sit there, they don't know what they're actually doing in the sense of you found these giant sheds. How's that? How's that make you feel if you're going? You do all this work and you go out and shed hunt, and you're not doing that. It, it might discourage you. You know, I know I'm being 
little, you know, whiny about that, but that's not my point. It's just like, wait a minute, there's repercussions for stuff like this. You know, it's not everybody can go out to Illinois and find all these giant sheds. You know, it's just that's not that's not real. Try to do that in Pennsylvania. Try to do that in Michigan. I still you know, found it's, one in Michigan. I still not found one. Yeah, so it's sometimes, you know, it's like, yeah, but you're going out. That's what's most important. And, you know, you're sometimes with your family and you know, you're going outside. Yep. That's important. But it's just, it's, it's like you said, you're deer hunting 365 days now, you know. But once again, it's just like, well, what are you truly doing? Are you doing it for yourself? When obviously you are, but at the same time, it's wildlife that should win. Not you. Right. And, Eric, do you see the pendulum swinging the other way at all? Do you think the things that you guys are doing and other organizations are doing, I I sort of think that at least a little bit things are starting to swing the other way for some guys. I mean, Ronella's fired up about squirrel hunting and talking about squirrels, and and, uh, guys are talking about going out on public land. I can think of the hunting public off the top of my head. They're out there. They don't ever talk about scores. They're hunting as a community, having a fun, having fun together. That's like when the check stations went away in Ohio. I miss those things. I miss yes, going down absolutely. there and, and yeah, it's catching up with everybody. And then, and then the rise of the hunting shows where it was all big antlers and everything became solo competition instead of the community-based thing. But I, I do feel like we're making some gains, and, and yeah. I just wanted to see what your your opinion was on that. Yeah, I still see the aspect of things. It seems like there is a little switch. I mean, not too long ago, and it was actually this year, uh, someone shot a, a 160, and people actually chimed in and said that they would have given it another year. Right. And it's like, wait a minute here, man. <laughs> Are we shooting this year? I mean, it's – we. I have to give him credit, Casey Shootman with the management advantage. You know, we were talking about this very subject, and he said it's a social media buck. You didn't shoot a social media buck. I mean, that's but <laughs> you're starting to find people switch that pendulum, and like, wait a minute, it's not about that. We 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 lost focus there. We need to rein it back here. You know, let those people be judgmental. Do whatever. You don't walk in my shoes. I don't walk in your shoes. You don't know my situation. And you don't know my property. My property, no matter what I do, might only produce a 130. It's out of my sure. control. It has nothing to do with me. It conducts with my neighbors. My neighbors dictate everything as well. We forget about that aspect of it. So when someone comments, you don't know their situation. So how dare you comment on a negative aspect of it? You know? Absolutely. I mean, okay, I shot a, a three-year-old. I mean, really? You're going to judge? I mean, I remember there was a time where we passed up twos and we shot threes and we were high-fiving each other. And how do we get to the point where four-year-olds even miss? Really? I mean, come on now. You know, the average right. lifespan of a deer in Ohio is a year and a half. You shoot a four-year-old, buddy, that's your trophy, you know? So, but no, to go back to, you know, uh, the conservation thing and, and being positive aspect of it, I mean, there's 11.5 million of us. It's only like 5% of the population. Now, my numbers might be off a little bit, but it's close. And you're talking and hunters in general, correct? Or deer yeah, hunters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the things that's, that's the thing. It's like um, Cody and I are in the process of we have to put it on the back burner till next year. It's, you know, we're celebrating who we are. I've an hour to where I need to go every day uh, to start my day. And I passed three billboards of World Wildlife Federation. 
And that is not a group of people that's on our side. But they have a billboard spreading their propaganda of negative toward, you know, conservation uh, as, as we see it. You know, where is our billboard? And that's a metaphor. Where, where's our? Well, how come we're not celebrating who we are? You know, I mean, it's like, for example, I mean, it's like $440 million, I believe. I mean, we donate to that to conservation and sportsmen's organizations every year. $440 million. Good point. $53, I believe it is. You know, we we produce $53 per, uh, per hunter. Average hunter gives $53, what I'm trying to say, to where the average citizen donates 32 Okay? I mean, where is our billboard celebrating who we are? I mean, we brought back turkeys. We brought back deer. We brought back waterfowl, pronghorn, elk. Where is our billboard? Why are we not celebrating this? I mean, myself, I'm tired of being bullied on social media. Not that I am, but you look at other people. Look at Eva Shockey's husband. I mean, just recently. I mean, that's it's insane. I mean, it's, I'm tired of being bullied. What happened what, with him? Why am I, what, I don't think I saw that. Well, he shot, I think, a grizzly bear and, and stuff, and oh, okay. of course he got he got attacked and wish you were dead. And you know, people were oh, yeah. actually you know she talking gets the about same even, thing, which is unfair. Oh yeah, you know, doing ill will to her child. It's just it's ridiculous. I mean, we should not stand for that professionally in a right manner, not being hillbilly and sort of you know say stupid stuff. But it's like, I mean, we have a we are a strong voice, even though we're only a small a group. We used to have a very strong force, a voice, right. but we don't use that anymore because we're all about us. I mean, I mean, shout it out. I mean, be proud that you're a hunter, you know? I mean, we're, we don't do that as a whole. You know, we have so many things that we could celebrate, but we don't. We don't educate the public, our, our side of it. Look, if it wasn't for us, you know, I think it's like $1.6 billion we produce annual for wildlife. There's nobody that does that. You take right. us out of the uh, equation. Who's paying the bills? Who? We should, we, where's our billboard for that? You know? Right. Yeah. No, it, I think it's important on how you do promote hunting. Um, for, you know, like I, I shared a video on my personal Facebook earlier. Maybe I'll, I'll share it on the podcast page about Ranilla again, uh, Stephen Ranilla. It's how he comes across and how we should come across and not be so so pompous and so uh, maybe traditional, but in terms of of maybe because now because we're in a new age, right? So maybe that stuff worked in the past and that's great, but now we're in a new age where where everybody's very technologically advanced and and I think now that if you can come across for being able to see both sides of an argument, being able to sophisticatedly talk about your your point and, and understand um, and not just come across as vulgar and and in your face. Yeah, it's all your delivery. Right. Absolutely. I guess that's what I'm trying and to say. And it really, it yeah. does help. Like, I have vegan neighbors, I mean, right next door. And yeah. where we're at now in, in our relationship, they understand why I hunt. And it wasn't like yeah. that when I first met them, but it is, it is now. And I think I kind of evolved personally and yeah. how I deliver that message which sure. I think is yeah is uh yeah. maybe something that we all need to need to think about um yeah and and not to interrupt world. you but no you're yeah, good, you're good. To, no it's just it's um 
See, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. it. We haven't yeah. gotten here yet. Yeah, but it's it's um it is delivery. It's being professional and doing wildlife management, tying all this together. When you're in tune with what you're doing, what nature is, and I know that sounds hippieish, but it's not. It's not. It's like being in tune to your surroundings makes you a better uh, person to deliver a debate. You know, and for, for example, okay, it, it's all about the message. I had to do real quick story. I had to do a a seminar. There was 20, I think 22 people in the room. I had, no, I was thrown to the woods. I had no idea what I was supposed to talk about, nothing. And what, when I got there, I realized, like, there's 20-something people here that are against me. It was a volunteer naturalist group. And it was like these people did not see my views. And there was people with purple hair and nose rings and, you know, being judged, you know, being human nature, you're judging them. You don't know their story, you know, but you're being judgmental. It's human nature. I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to say to these people, you know, about wildlife <laughs> and my views on this? So I did what I naturally do. I just was walking around the room, making eye contact, making people feel uncomfortable because I'm sitting there like, all right, you better dig deep because I, I'm still like, oh, my gosh. And then I went, wait a minute. Okay. In a show of hands, how many people in this room love wildlife? And I had that soft tone. And everybody, all 20-something, let's say there's 22 people, all rose their hand. I said, look, we have something in common already. And I said, okay, let me say there was a forest, and it was, you know, it needed logged. And I went in there, myself and my crew went in there, and we did some select cut, and we did some uh, clear cutting even. The show of hands, how many people would want to string me up high? All 20-something people rose their hand. And I said, wait a minute. I thought you said you loved wildlife. Hmm. You know, I said, do you understand that 60 to 80% of wildlife is dependent on early successional forests? I thought you loved wildlife. Do you know, just in Ohio alone, that I think it's 80% of songbird population is on a decline because of the lack of early successional habitat. I thought you just said that you love wildlife. I had them. I mean, I had people walk out and go, oh, my gosh. But if it wasn't for the, the knowledge that is gained by doing wildlife habitat, deer management, you can't. You, what are you going to say to them? Right. <laughs> sure. You know, what are you going to say to them other than they're, 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 there's, it's black and white to them? You know, there's no gray. So it is all delivery. It's all what to say. And doing habitat work, not to repeat myself, that gets you there. Good point. Yeah. So no, you, went, I, you went full circle on that beautifully, so continue. Yeah, it, yeah. and the last thing, too, is on this part of it, it's like I, I strongly, I'm the guy who says if you don't hunt it, you can't manage it. And what I mean by that is that to a non-hunter, you say you love it. Let's say deer. Okay, for topic species. You say you love deer. I, I, you might think you do. I, am, I love deer because I am willing to kill it. I want to provide everything possible for this species because I love it. And for that love, I am willing to kill it. You say you love wildlife. No, you think you do. If you did, sure. you would buy a hunting license. That doesn't mean you have to hunt. That money goes into management. You say you love wildlife, but no, you don't. 
Hunters love wildlife. That we want everything for it. We want flourishing populations, not just to go out there and whack and stack, but no, because we love it. You follow what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just, yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's being a conservationist. That's what Cody and I are doing, you know, bringing people back. You know, there's, it's like, who is our Fred Bear? You know, Fred Bear, everybody quotes Fred Bear nowadays. It's like, you have no idea what Fred Bear was <laughs> saying, man. You're 20 years old and you're quoting Fred Bear. You know, there's right, some people right. out there that might honestly feel, you know, part of what he's doing. But a lot of people are just doing it for likes. And it's like, wait a minute here. I mean, who is our Fred Bear in today's world? That leader. I mean, Aldo Leopold. I mean, he, he's, he, he died a long time ago. I mean, who took his place? Nobody. I mean, who took Fred Bear's place? A lot of people tried, but they're not. They're all about them. Fred Bear wasn't about him. He wasn't right. about him. You know, who is Fred Bear? And the next person that you could say that's possible, who's doing phenomenal things, is like Donnie Vincent. But he's not. He he's. I wish he could reach everybody because he is about as close as you're going to get. And he doesn't like hearing that, but it's, it's, he is that person. You know, he's like, if you don't know who he is, please look him up. I mean, it's just, he is, yeah, he's just amazing. And it's like, he is filling that void. And I, I, like I said, I wish everybody, but who is our Fred Bear? And that's what we need at this point in time. I mean, who is our Aldo Leopold? Who is that person? We all kind of, no matter how technical we get, we always kind of need someone to lean on, to read, to, to pick as our mentor. And we don't have that person today, in my opinion. And, um. There's a lot of people trying. I mean, Cody and I, were, I say there's a lot of grain to stand, you know, on a beach, but we're trying to do what we can, you know, to bring people back. So that's our story. And with that story, you guys have four videos, you said, and where are those videos mm-hmm. located? How can we find those or watch those? Uh, you can go on YouTube, type in uh, Drum and Log Wildlife Management. Okay. And, uh, yeah, they're new new videos and you can go on the, the easiest thing is to go on uh, drum and log wildlife management facebook page and um the, they'll be there under the videos and stuff and some little short type stuff you know um well you know one minute shots and stuff but our videos are there um we just did our newest one is called kids these days you know and it, it is i don't know if anybody hopefully people seen it but uh, if not, go to it, and it's about uh, changing our perspective on, you know, kids, millennials. Um, there's other words for even the younger generation. I forget what it is. Um, you know, that next generation. It's like we're – it starts off like, hey, I mean, you you kind of judge me because I'm not playing in a creek catching crawfish. You judge me because, you know, of guns. Have you ever took the time to teach me? Have you ever took the time to take me through the creek? I mean, usually the answer is no, but we're being judgmental. We're putting all this pressure on the next generation, but we're still in charge. <laughs> you know, we need to look at these kids differently. I mean, I, I, I say this to uh, some people, you know, like in seminars and even blogs or whatever. Is it more important in today's world? And now this is really saying something. So I'm stepping out. I might get fried for this. But what I mean by it is, like, is it more important for, like, my son, he's 16, is it more important for him to go out deer hunting or understand conservation? When he's 18 in a voting booth, which is more important? Him knowing conservation and being smart enough and educated enough to pull the right lever. 
you know, right. for for wildlife. You know, if he hunts, he hunts. But he's brought up in conservation. We don't teach kids conservation. The good, the the, the four hundred and forty million dollars and fifty three dollars to thirty two dollars. Kids don't know that. I mean, yeah. we're we're teaching them. We stick a corn pile up. We stick a crossbow in their hand, and here, kill. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's where we're at with these kids. I mean, is that more important to take them out hunting? Which it is, but you see my point. Is it? Absolutely. You know, yeah. Okay, I stopped hunting because Dad's old. And okay, where am I going? And then there's a ballad about bobcat trapping. You're like, well, I never trapped. So that's cruel. And he pushed that lever for anti-trapping. Wait a minute. You know, if he understood, he or she understood about it. You know, the benefits, the down, downside, blah, 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 all sides of it. And that's what's more important. That's teaching these kids how to kill. You know, that's what our video reference that is about. And I feel like I'm a real gentleman. No, and, and I, I have one more one more question while we're on this um, this so-called tangent, if you will. Uh, I want to hear about your, your hunting season with your son, et cetera. I, I, love, I, really, I really do. <laughs> Uh, but what do you think made you think like this? Was it was it reading a Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold, or, no. or or what was it that made you start going about it this way? Um, I'm really intrigued by that. Okay, and this is about as corny answer that you can possibly get, <laughs> and it comes off and it comes off very arrogant, and I, I, it's not intended to be. Is that when you do this for a while? I mean, you'll get there, and I mean that in a positive sense, not to down, down, you know, make a fun or sure. downplaying your ability. It's like you will get there. It's like you're constantly asking why, why, why. That's what makes a good manager. Why, why is this? Why? And then, you know, through window, window time, drive time, and stuff, you get to think. You just like, wait a minute here, man. It's like sometimes you get stuck. Sometimes you get bored. I get bored easy, you know. So I, I just. I just started thinking, why? You know, there's a bigger picture here, you know? It's like you get on social media, and it's like I'm not liking the things I see. There's a lot I do like, but I don't like the direction. It's like, wait a minute here, man. And especially when you start talking to like-minded people like Cody, it's just like, wait a minute here. They're, wow. We opened up the box. It's like, oh, my gosh. You know, so... I don't know if I answered your question or not, but it's just like, no, you'll get to that point where you're thinking like this, you know, and it's, it's, it's not, somebody's called our videos, um, they come off angry. It's like, no, 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 you're missing the point. You need to watch them again. No, they're, it, they're supposed to be inspiring. And sometimes people at this point, it's gentlemen and women here, you need to, you need to wake up. I mean, hunting has an expiration date at this point. We've lost two right. point something million people since 2015 or 10, or I think it, I forget what it was. It's yeah. close to my mind. No, but right. hunting has an expiration date. And if we don't wake up and be told the truth, like, hey, we're screwing up here. Hunting is not a right. It's a privilege. <laughs> and if we don't pay the bills, For the sure. people that are against us are going to pay the bills, and we won't be doing what we're doing, you know? And, um, I mean, that's, that's the stuff you start thinking about. I mean, I, my whole world was consulting. I mean, that's, that's me. I love educating people. I love trying to make people's dreams come true, as cheesy as that sounds. 
But then I my number one job is to be an educator, and it's like, wait a minute here, man. I, maybe I mean it's like my new goal. I will always consult. I still hope I'm busy as I'll get out. But my new direction is conservation, doing these videos with Cody and educating and talking about this subject. And hopefully today I did a good job, you know, relaying that through my anger ramp. But it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, that's that's my new direction. I don't know if it's age. I don't know what it is. But you will get there. Everybody who does true wildlife management. See, that's the thing. You've got to stop saying deer management. I know that's that's not cool. You know, no, it's wildlife management because everything benefits from what you're doing. You know, that's where it's open up the, open up the, take the blinders off. It is. Yeah. It's like, why is that not cool? It's like, I, I, I catch myself sometimes going wildlife management. I mean, deer management. Right. What, why, why, why? You know? Yeah. We've kind of gotten so, ourselves into that. Um, when I first started this, I want to cover turkey, pond management, uh, you know, upland, mm-hmm. everything. And, you kind of keep relating back to deer. It's just kind of who we are personally. Uh, but yeah. you're right. No, it, there are a ton of other topics that need to be covered and, and dove into, and we're definitely going to do that. Um, yeah. and, and I appreciate your, your perspective on it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, keep, keep making those videos. Keep, you know, putting my Facebook. We'll share the hell out of them. And, uh, well, I appreciate that. And I like that. Um, lastly, I want to talk about How'd your fall hunting season go with uh, you and, and your son? And tell us a little bit about that, and uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll get this wrapped up for you. Yeah, well, um, let's talk about my son. Um, when he was even just last year, and then as he was younger, I, it got to the point where he was so geared up. I had to, I hate to say this out loud, but I'd come home and he was ready to rock and roll. He was texting me, <laughs> "Are we hunting? Are we hunting tonight?" And I'm like, I am so tired. I just worked 12 hours, you know, and you want to go in the morning. And I'm like, hey, uh, the wind's wrong. <laughs> and I'm lying to my kids because I, I don't have it in me. Now he's 16. He's got a car and a girlfriend. So I don't see him. I We, we went from hunting obsessively to I took him out the other day. That was our second hunt. I missed my boy. Um yeah, just life life has taken him in that direction as we all went through. But um, but yeah, I missed that time with him for sure because that was that was us, man. But um, no hunting this year. It was uh, it's still going on, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now there's it, it, here's the thing: being a consultant, doing this for so long, and people. I say this to people, and I get. I'm sure I can only imagine what they're thinking when I say it out loud. Is that I see so many. I mean, deer is my life, okay? And it's almost a curse. And when you're doing it this long and do what you do, what I do, you, you would understand. I mean, I look at some years, tens of thousands. You know, one year I did 60,000, 80,000 deer camera things, surveys. And, and it was looking at all these pictures of deer. And you're dealing with clients sending you pictures of big deer. It kills your hunting. I mean, it's like I don't even want to go. You know, I'm up in the tree stand. There's not a deer big enough that I'm going to shoot because of social pressure, you know, through looking at it all the time. And it's like I'm not going – I'm going out there and I'm not enjoying myself because there's not deer big enough that I'm going to shoot, you know. And it's 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 horrible to think that way. But this year, you know, I've had a lot of great deer in front of us. And um, I, I almost would rather just watch them and learn from them and create habitat than, <laughs> than to kill them. That's where I'm at, you know. 
And that's the thing as being a consultant is that I knew I I know I do my job. I knew I did my job, excuse me, when like year five, year six, year seven, I get a picture of a just like a 140-inch deer uh, sent to me, and they say, I, I'm so, I'd rather do the habitat work than to kill this deer. I did this, you know, a 140 just, just to get me through, you know. It's not the biggest deer on the property. You know that. I know that, but I just... I needed to reward myself, but I'm more engrossed in doing the habitat work. That's when I know I did my job. It's like they, mm-hmm. they switched gears. It went from a consumer to a manager. They get it. That's what's exciting. And that's like, but Brian, I haven't gotten that phone call yet. I, I don't know what's <laughs> going on. You know? <laughs> you know? Too many, oh, many iron sea deers and that penguins. You know? It's like, get off of it. Yeah, hey, hey, so. he forgot about he forgot about that picture of that buck I texted. Yeah, him, I Brian would yeah. rather kill yeah. bucks on on public land and and challenge himself and make us all yeah. look worse by by doing it that way, Brian. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But hey, the blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. <laughs> yeah, I can't find my nut though. He's <laughs> like, where are you at? Well, no, I I mean I understand you about that that social pressure. I mean, it's it's kind of. I don't want to say hypocritical, but it's like we all go out there for to to be successful, hopefully, right? And and, yeah. and go out there and tag a big buck and and you know brag about it in front of your buddies or, or whatever you want to do. And then you know you need to realize, and I've had this talk with Brian and Al this year. Like you just gotta be happy you're alive and out there and yeah. sitting in a tree. And in the woods, and not you know six foot under somewhere. And oh, yeah, it's have like, fun. So it, have fun. And just have a good time. And but yeah, you, and then there's that yep. side, like the first side. I want to shoot a big buck. You got to enjoy yourself. It goes back and forth. And I oh yeah, it's, I don't it's, know what it's you're a saying. Struggle. Yeah, it really is. It's a struggle. There's and, no one way about it. I, it goes back yeah. and forth. Yeah, it's just like you know. I know it's the people that hurt. They say that it's you know. It's tough to be a consultant and be a deer hunter because it it, it really is. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure. It's like if you know myself, if I shoot a, a 140, oh my gosh, social media is going to blow up. Look at Eric; he shot a 140. What the you know? He's supposed to be Mr. Gear and all this stuff. It's like I don't. You know, no, you don't. You don't. Well, you, Eric, you yeah. better not come to Michigan, yeah. buddy. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but no, it's just uh, I'll come shoot your yeah, 140s. It, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it is it's it's a tough thing, and it's 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 one of those things you have to live it to understand, you know what you're what I'm trying to talk about, what I'm trying to say. But it's um, it's tough. It is. It really is. But yeah, um, I'm more of a. I like turkeys. I like shooting turkeys in the. Yes, I love. That's my thing. That's my escape from all the deer madness. Is it really uh, nice? Oh, I'm upset. That's where it gets kind of crazy. Really? I travel wherever. Just say where we're going. Are you serious? Yeah. You go anywhere for <laughs> oh, a turkey, huh? Oh, I am. Yeah, that's my that's my bad, man. That's uh, my escape. I love it. I've always, yeah, that's my thing. Very you know, cool. Other than a deer thing, obviously, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Eric, anything else you want to cover tonight before we wrap this up? No, I think I rambled up. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. We uh, we appreciate rambling on on a podcast. Trust me. So absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, if anybody wants to reach out to you, possibly hire you for a, for a gig or follow you on Facebook or maybe your videos, where can one go to do that? 
Oh, you could just uh, get on social media. You can private message me. You know, go down to Log Wildlife Management or just go Eric Long, private message me on the social media aspect of it or Instagram or, you know, um, my phone number is on my, you know, my page. You can call me. Um, yeah, I'd love to talk to people, love talking about deer, talk about, you know, habitat. So, um, yeah, just if you have, I always tell people, I, you know, just because you don't hire me, don't hesitate to ever call me. You know, I'm an educator first, you know, before making money, if you will. And I won't manage your place over the phone, but I'm going to help you out. I mean, I'm going to, you know, point you in the right direction. You know, I don't want let, I don't want you to to hang just because I'm not making money. That's not what this is all about. So, and hopefully you will hire me. But no, I'm I want to help people first. So, yeah, just if you have a question, I'll do my best to get to you. You know, things get busy, and I will get to you. I promise. But yeah, there you go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, no, I, I love. I really yeah. appreciate your time and, and doing this. We've uh, been wanting to get you on for a while now, and I had a really good time talking to you. So, and Brian, thanks for yeah. coordinating it, buddy. Thanks everybody for listening again. A super great guest, Eric Long from Drumming Log Wildlife Management. Brian, what did you think about Eric? How'd you like that? Oh, he talked about being an educator. It was. Uh, great to hear him drop all that knowledge on our listeners this is going to be a good one I'm, I'm looking forward to going back and really listening intently on the playback and uh going over my notes here and just putting everything together because it's just it was so overwhelming so much great information yeah no i fully agree i loved his uh philosophical take on things if you will um absolutely just, you know, his his comment of make people think. I, I really do like that. But uh, Definitely. Eric, thanks for coming on, buddy. And the listeners, thank you guys, number one, for, for coming to another Habitat podcast this week. You know, Brian and I, we love doing this stuff. Uh, as you can tell, we're passionate about it. We just, we really enjoy the feedback and the, and the following that you guys are, are given. So thank you for that. Want to join, or I'm sorry, thank our sponsors, Nick Nation at the Habitat Hook, Nick Percy at Killer Food Plus, and Lincoln Roan at Packer Max line of Cult of Packers. Thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. If anybody wants to hear more from us, you can hear us at habitatpodcast.com. You can download every one of our episodes there. You can comment on them, leave your reviews, or whatever you want to do on our website iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, um, SoundCloud. There's wherever you can listen to a podcast. Search Habitat Podcast and look for our logo. You should be able to find it. Uh, if not, let me know and we'll try to get on that venue. Facebook.com/slash Habitat Podcast. We are doing a few giveaways there right now. We're giving away a uh, what's that, Brian? The Stephen Ranilla book. Yeah, the Meat Eater Cookbook. The Meat Eater Cookbook. Perfect. If you guys like the page, you subscribe to our YouTube, we're going to give that away. It's uh, top five books on Amazon right now. He's sold out everywhere. Check that out. And then Instagram slash Habitat Podcast or at Habitat Podcast. We post up there more than anywhere else. So check us out, guys. Thank you so much. As we become better Habitat Managers, hang out and let us know what else we can do to make it better for y'all. Thanks.